A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Reach out with your feelings. Let go. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Counseling on the Force Center podcast feed, the show that believes absolutely every part of Star Wars is great from a certain point of view. I'm your host, my name is Joseph Scrimshaw, with me as almost always is my special guest, Small Sip of Whiskey. Here is the whiskey's input on today's episode. Mmm. Extra bubbly, not always a um a good thing. 
for whiskey. When you ask people what makes real good whiskey, it's not usually bubbly. Anyway, that was my bad. Let's move on. For this episode, I am tackling multiple grievances. Not huge, big, complicated, juicy ones like I often do, but some smaller ones, uh, some real ones for sure, but also some fun ones. I collected all of these at the live Force Center show that we did in Chicago during Star Wars Celebration. Uh, If you haven't listened to that live show, basically what we did is we handed out little pieces of paper for people to write their grievances on, and we addressed some during the live show, but we had all of these great leftovers, so I decided to dig through some of the ones that we didn't address during the actual live show. And if you are going to the convention that I do every year in Minneapolis called Convergence, I will be doing a live recording of Star Wars Counseling there as well, and we'll be using the same system. I'll ask people to write down grievances on little pieces of paper, and then we'll address them during the show. And if there are any leftover from that live show, we'll do another episode like this. But for now, let's do the episode that we're doing right now. These are grievances about Star Wars. Little things, big things, weird things, fun things that bother people in Star Wars that I will try to make you feel better about. So here we go. Kyle Wilson writes, not getting Ray's third lesson in the theatrical release of The Last Jedi. That is a very good one. And I'm going to start off this counseling on this grievance by possibly making it worse, making the grievance more upsetting. I apologize, Kyle. So when we say not getting Ray's third lesson, that's not getting uh, having Luke give Ray the third lesson in the theatrical release of The Last Jedi. But I apologize for uh, pushing up not my glasses, but my contacts and being pedantic. Uh, but we did not get Luke's third lesson to Ray in the deleted scene either. That is a thing that uh, a lot of fans have thought. Uh, but we still do not have that third lesson. I think the confusion comes here because we have that deleted scene from The Last Jedi, where Rey sees some lights coming up to the shore, coming up to the caretaker village. And Luke says, well, that's a rival faction, some sort of warring pirates coming to attack the caretakers. And here, Rey, is a classic Jedi conundrum. You could, of course, use your powers for knowledge and defense. You could go help those caretakers, and you could chase away those pirates. But... By taking that action, what other actions will you set off? Luke says the pirates will probably just come back in larger numbers and you won't be around to defend the caretakers, so will you just make matters worse? So in that scene, Luke is giving Rey a valuable lesson about the Jedi, about trying to choose exactly when your action is going to make things better or make things worse. Now, this ties into a lot of the balance of the Force and how passive Jedi should be, all the stuff that we discussed on the last episode of Star Wars Counseling. And, of course, it dovetails really, really well with what Luke is wrestling with in The Last Jedi. So, in a way, it is a great lesson. Of course, is the way the scene plays out. Ray runs down there. It turns out that's just all of the male Linnae, the species of the caretakers, coming back from their fishing voyages. So, basically... The Linnae, the males are pirate dudes who go out fishing and pirate stuffing, I guess. And then the caretakers are sort of, you know, like uh, nuns. So then some pirates and some nuns are having an awesome space party. Ray runs down there 
and Luke kind of laughs it off, and Ray gets very upset with Luke. So that's the scene, and it is absolutely, like I said, a lesson, but Ryan Johnson himself clarified in an interview with EW right before The Last Jedi Blu-ray and digital release came out that that is not the third lesson. The article says that Ryan's perspective is, there are things about the movie that fans can choose to interpret as Luke's final instruction to Rey. And he also adds that, of course, it might come up in episode 9 by J.J. Abrams and writer Chris Terrio. In that the time of that uh, interview, Ryan Johnson didn't want to comment any more than the mysterious, it might be there in the movie if you look for it. It might not because he wanted to leave the possibilities open for episode 9. So with all that said, let's get into some actual counseling. I think the way to feel better about this is it's kind of fun sometimes to not know things because then we get to make things up. I myself am okay with Luke never being able to specifically verbally deliver a third lesson because I think it speaks to Ray's training being incomplete. The same way Luke's training was technically incomplete, Yoda, I'm sure, had a lot of other verbal lessons for Luke when he left Dagobah in The Empire Strikes Back. And I think it's very interesting to think about what that lesson would be. Because when Luke started training Rey, when he agreed to, he said he would teach her three lessons about the Jedi and why they need to end. So one could imagine that his original idea for the third lesson would have been kind of negative or pessimistic toward the ways of the Jedi. But maybe, if things had continued to go better between him and Ray, maybe he would have eventually delivered a more positive lesson. Or, as Ryan Johnson is indicating, maybe through his actions, he delivered a final third lesson to Ray that was more positive and reaffirming of the path of the Jedi, and the path of a hero whose instinct is to always take action, always be proactive, and defend those in need of help. So I think there's an idea that's interesting to me of like a couple different third lessons. What was Luke's original third lesson? What was the lesson he maybe communicated non-verbally to Rey through his own actions in The Last Jedi? Is there, in this grand, glorious time where Episode Nine has not yet been released, is there time for Luke to appear to Rey in Episode Nine as a Force ghost and say, you know, I'm not even going to tell you what that third lesson was going to be, but upon reflection, here is what the most important lesson, the third thing that all Jedi need to know is. Now, another thing that's fun to me about this is, if you accept the idea that Luke delivered a third lesson in The Last Jedi based on his own actions, we can all have fun thinking of what that is. Is the lesson that Luke demonstrated that uh, exactly what Obi-Wan Kenobi said in the very first Star Wars film, that there are alternatives to fighting? Did Luke deliver that lesson by force projecting himself to Crate? Did he deliver the lesson that... You know what, Ray? Turns out you were right. Sometimes the Force is about 
literally making rocks float. I was not being open-minded enough. Or is it more the big picture? Maybe it's that lesson that Yoda gives to Luke that Luke passes on through his actions to Rey that it is okay to fail. We must, in fact, embrace our failures and try to learn from them. So many opportunities to think about what is the third lesson, if not delivered verbally, but delivered through his actions. What could that possibly be? Final bit of counseling on this one for me. I think there's something very true and honest and interesting about the promise of a third lesson, but not knowing exactly what that lesson is. Because to me, that is a way to celebrate the truth of the Jedi, the truth of anyone who seeks knowledge, anyone who is constantly asking themselves, what is the right path forward? That no matter how much you learn, there's always something more out there. There's always a metaphorical third lesson to be learned. Anyway, great grievance, Kyle. I hope that helped a little bit. We're going to move on to a person who wrote their name down as Smooth Like Mayo. I'm sure that is their actual legal name. Smooth Like Mayo says, How long exactly did it take Luke to decide he really wanted to try that milk directly from the source? We are staying right where we started. We are still on that island of Octu, and now we're dealing with some of the big questions. Yeah, sure, Jedi philosophy. What is the third lesson? Now we're getting to the heart the beating heart of what's going on in The Last Jedi, and that is milking a Thala siren. This one to me is pretty direct. Uh, I'm going to say for my own personal headcanon, I think it took Luke two days, two days at the very most, before he milked that Thala siren. I think maybe he brought some rations with him. He didn't know exactly what he was going to encounter on Octo, on that first Jedi temple. Now, I think when he gets there, a couple things happen. I think the caretakers greet him pretty quickly. I think once he realizes that there's a sentient species with lots of opinions about what happens on the island living there, I think the first thing he does is say, hey, these huts are cool, but they don't have doors. And he goes and he gets his X-wing door and he gets himself a little bit of privacy. He sits in that hut, he finishes off his rations, and then I think he knows I need to fend for myself on the island, but I don't think he even needs to fend for himself. I think the caretaker's like, you're going to want to be doing some fishing. You are going to want to milk that Thala siren. That's where you get your good nutrients here on the island. And I think Luke would have been just fine with that because I think he was there to embrace the simple life. I think he was there to reconnect, not with the Force, obviously, because he has pulled back from the Force in a cosmic sense, but I think in a philosophical sense, he was trying to respect just the balance of nature, just the natural order. He was trying to be someone who is living a part of the general ecosystem of Octo and not disrupt what is always there. And that is, of course, a natural cycle of life, a symbiotic circle of sentient beings milking other sentient beings to survive. That is the way of things. The way of the Force and milking. 
So I don't think Luke would have been given a lot of pause by the idea of you need to milk the Thala Siren. And here's why. This is just straight up way off into the unknown regions of headcanon for me. But we know generally from the Legends of Luke Skywalker book and from the Force Awakens sources, not a lot of details or specifics, but we do know that Luke has been spending a lot of time in between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, traveling the galaxy, going to bizarre and remote places, trying to learn the ways of the Force, trying to kind of just live in small human ways, live within different cultures. My point is, I think he has been to a lot of weird places, a lot of interesting exotic places. I think he has milked a lot of animals. I think even animals that don't look like milk should come out of them. I think milk has come out of surprising places, is what I'm saying. And I think Luke has looked at it and said, weird, well, that's the force. Yeah, I'm a farm kid, but I used to just milk water out of the air. But still, it's a form of milking. Anyway, a lot of weird details in my headcanon there. I'm not going to apologize for that. My headcanon is my headcanon, but I will say this. My ultimate counseling for this is I think that Luke has been around the galaxy. I think he is totally okay with the natural world. I don't think he is weirded out by it. I think he has milked many animals, and I think every time he milks a new animal, the only real question in Luke Skywalker's mind is, I wonder if this milk will be blue and remind me of my youth. So close, so close. Just like the colors of his lightsaber, the colors of the milk have evolved from blue to green, from youth to maturity, all with the colors of milk. Anyway, thanks Smooth Like Mayo for that fun and weird grievance. We're going to move on to... As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Shaler. Shaler says, why do they call Starkiller Base Starkiller? It kills planets. Oh, this is a lovely one. I have several thoughts on this one. So I think first you got to look at just the Empire in the First Order and their long history of naming projects to be super scary sounding, but not necessarily accurate. I think they value scary over accurate. So first, of course, you have the Death Star. The Death Star is not a star. It's very clearly the size of a small moon. But Death Small Moon is not a very scary name for it. And now when you've got the Death Star floating around out there, you also have Star Destroyers. Now, Star Destroyers probably can't actually destroy a star. I mean, maybe they could if they all teamed up and used all of their firepower and all just fired on a sun for some reason, but it would take a lot of them. So again, a more accurate name might be not just Star Destroyer, but one one hundredth star destroyer because that's how much star just one star destroyer could maybe destroy i don't know i have not done the math on that and i wouldn't even know how my point is a star destroyer is not flying around destroying stars and also calling your ultimate weapon the death star when the main ship in your fleet is called a star destroyer implies that one ship in your fleet could destroy your ultimate weapon. All of which is to say, clearly, the Empire cares much more about the propaganda of terrifying names than the accuracy of what size they are and what exact kind of celestial body they could or could not destroy. Now, to get back to Starkiller, I think it is clearly within the tradition of the Empire, but it might be more accurate than Star Destroyer or Death Star because, for one, I think Starkiller Base could destroy the Death Star, so that's at least one star it could kill, in name at least. Also, we did see the Starkiller base destroy multiple celestial bodies in the Hosnian system. They destroyed most of or all of the Hosnian system, so it is possible that if they wanted to, Starkiller base could destroy a star. We also know that Starkiller base got its enormous power from draining the energy of a sun. Now, in that process, 
I would imagine that kind of does kill the sun. I did some Googling to see if I could come up with a concrete canon answer, and I didn't find a source that said, yes, that does entirely kill the sun. Of course, what happens when all of the energy is drained out of a thing usually kind of dies. But I did some Googling, and Wikipedia also seems to think that is the case, that uh, Starkiller Base is named Starkiller possibly because before it even fires a shot at anything else, it has already killed a star just to get ready to kill something else. So again, if the goal was accuracy, it should be named something other than Star Killer. It should probably be called Star Sucker Base. Again, not anywhere near as scary. Hux doesn't like being laughed at. This is a real fun one to think through. Lots of funny names to be had, but my main counseling stands. These massive weapons are named to be scary, not deadly accurate. Although, in the whole grand scheme of things, Star Killer Base is probably more accurate than Death Star or Star Destroyer. I suppose maybe the Death Star could kill a star instead of just a planet. Again, we don't know for sure the full limitations of these, but my point is Star Killer Base probably the most accurate of all of them, which shows yet again that the First Order is doing a good and terrifying job of doing what the Empire did, but bigger and better. Thanks, Shaler, for that fun grievance. Our next one comes from Thomas Sholan. Uh, Thomas says, Force running in The Phantom Menace. I love that this isn't even a question. This is just a statement. Force running in The Phantom Menace. I think this one might have come up at one of the live uh, Star Wars counseling episodes we did, but I think it's a, a big one and an interesting one. So I would start by just saying I personally love that there are lots of different Force powers. I like the idea that the Force allows you to do many things, and there's almost a matter of just creativity to it, of how can we tap into the Force to affect our own physical bodies, to affect the environment around us, indeed to affect the perceptions of people around us, whether it's a simple mind trick or a massive force projection to create, which I choose to think of as a huge multiple mind trick. There are many different things the force could allow you to do if you believe it's possible, if you focus, if you can imagine it. If you can dream it, The Force can make your body do it. I will work on that catchphrase, but you know what I mean. So that's my first point of grievance. Even if you don't like the Force running in The Phantom Menace, I think you can like the general idea that there are many different Force powers and you might see different Jedi doing different things. Now, of course... The real-world truth is probably that George Lucas was experimenting with lots of things in The Phantom Menace and just trying different ideas. Many of them stuck around, but the idea of Jedi using the Force to speedrun is not something that really took hold and showed up in lots of other Star Wars storytelling. Now, for my own headcanon, I just apply this real-life truth of George was experimenting, and I apply that to the Jedi themselves. Now, in Claudia Gray's recent novel, Master and Apprentice, it gets really reinforced that different Jedi 
have many different areas of expertise, areas of exploration, ideas that they are working through, different ways to approach the Force. I like to imagine that this extends to Jedi experimenting with many different ways the Force could be used, many different ways it could be used to enhance physical abilities in particular. Uh, there are many mentions in like canon novels and uh, comic books even of Jedi and Sith and Force users using the Force to enhance their strength, to really hammer a blow with a lightsaber down to have their strength actually enhanced by the Force. Uh, we see constantly that the Force can enhance the distance of a leap, uh, that it could maybe enhance endurance. So when you look at it that way, of the Force just kind of giving you lots of different physical enhancements, the idea of using the Force to enhance your speed is not that bizarre. It's really just that we don't see it as often. So I like the idea that maybe around the time of The Phantom Menace, Qui-Gon Jinn, being the experimental Jedi he was, was experimenting with, maybe this is way a way we should tap into the Force more often to use it not just to enhance our senses, our strength, uh, our stamina, but in use it to actually enhance our speed. And maybe Qui-Gon was kind of playing around with this, taught it to Obi-Wan, and it's like, this isn't that useful. Maybe that's what happened, or maybe... Qui-Gon was still really perfecting it, maybe introducing it to the Jedi Order is, I feel this is an ability that we should all train for. It's very practical. We are committed to using the Force for knowledge and defense. Sometimes a fight isn't what we want, and we might want to avoid something very quickly. A little bit of Force speed running is something we should all be good at. Maybe Qui-Gon was really on a soapbox about this, but he died. And no one was else was really particularly interested in continuing the discussion of if force speed running was a good focus for future Jedi training. So maybe it would have been perfected and used more frequently if Qui-Gon hadn't passed away. Now, all of that said, we do actually see something similar, not exactly the same, but similar in canon when Luke jumps out of the carbon freezing pit, just as it is firing up in The Empire Strikes Back, it's a pretty similar kind of effect of the way uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon look as a speedrun in The Phantom Menace to that speed jump. Luke really flies out of there. So if you wanted to take this really far, you could imagine in your own headcanon that Yoda said to Luke on Dagobah, because I don't think we actually saw all of their discussions, all of their training. Maybe Yoda said, you know, uh, there was this Jedi who thought this was a, a handy thing to do, to be able to move your body very fast. And maybe Yoda showed Luke that move. Or, or, that could all be much more technical than it needs to be. It could be that a Jedi who is tapping into the Force, we know the Force... Uh, guides your actions, obeys your commands, and sometimes, maybe, if you just open yourself to the Force and say, Force, what should I do? And allow the Force to guide your actions, maybe there are situations where the Force is basically saying, move your ass. You should move very quickly now. If you just 
concentrate, let go, and open your eyes, and you discover, I am much farther down the hallway than I was previously, and I'm safe now. Thanks, Force. Or, in Luke's case, I am not frozen in a big block of carbonite. Thanks, Force. So that's my counseling. I think there are a lot of different ways to look at it. You can look at it as just enjoying the idea that there are many different untapped force abilities out there. You can look at it as a actual technique that Qui-Gon was perfecting, or you can look at it as sometimes a Jedi opens themselves to the force and they use different abilities in different situations as the force guides them. Thanks for that fun grievance. We're going to move on to our final grievance for this episode. It comes to us from Mike Carpenter. Mike says, Why is Chewie never given a promotion or a chance to lead the resistance? He's got three wars in like a hundred years experiences. Let's see. Hashtag General Chewbacca. Oh, this is great. I love hashtag General Chewbacca. Yeah, I mean, at at the point of the sequel trilogy, Chewbacca is well beyond 200 years old. He's got a lot of experience in battle. He's got a lot of life experiences. So, all that in mind, you go to the real world thing of how do you tell that story in a movie? How do you tell that story on screen where the rousing speech is a bunch of roars that many people in the resistance don't understand. So you have that element to it. There's that part of it. But I like to dive a little deeper than just, oh, well, nobody's going to give an Academy Award to Chewbacca's roars. I want to go deeper than that. I have to assume that Chewbacca has been given ranks or titles, or at least offered them in his entire history with the Rebellion and the Alliance and the Resistance. I would imagine that he's been offered a rank, since we see uh, both Luke and Han have rank throughout the original trilogy. So maybe, maybe we will actually see that in Episode Nine. Maybe there'll just be a casual reference of like, oh yeah, uh, have you guys met Admiral Chewbacca? Yeah, I mean, he's he doesn't like uh, wear any insignia, on his bandolier, and he doesn't make a big stink about it. But yeah, he's he's an admiral. I would be down with Admiral Chewbacca. But it is possible that Chewbacca has just said, no thanks, I don't want that, for reasons. More on that in a moment. But in terms of just the larger question of leadership, of why isn't Chewbacca leading, I have to assume that Chewie just doesn't want leadership. And in some deep way, that just makes sense to me of the character we've seen in the story of Star Wars. I know that I've had experience in my life with plenty of people who have all of the technical knowledge. They have much, much experience, but they just don't want to be a leader. I think it takes a specific kind of personality to be a leader. It's something that Star Wars storytelling focuses on a lot. How many kind of personal and emotional sacrifices that Padme and Leia make to truly be leaders. Maybe Chewbacca is just the kind of person who's like, I don't I don't want to do that. I, I sacrifice in other ways. I contribute in other ways. I think of, uh, I've done a lot of work in theater, and I think of Chewbacca as like somebody who knows the inner workings of a theater show incredibly well. He is the combination tech person who can run 
all the lights and sounds. If there's a, a, a if a board breaks, he can fix it. If a light falls during the show, he can fix it while the show goes on. He's a stage manager. He knows where everyone is supposed to be at all times. He knows where your costumes are. He knows where you're supposed to stand on stage. He can be on the side of the curtain yelling out what your next line is if you forget it. I mean, he'll be roaring it, so you, you do need to understand the language of the Wookiees. But my point is, I think he is somebody who has all of the knowledge of this space. But at the same time, and I've known people like this, if you went to them and said, look, you know everything about what's happening in this building, in this art form. You've seen this happen a million times. Do you want to direct? There'll be people who are just like, hell no. I like taking care of all of the details. I like being there to back up all of the people. I don't want to be the one who is making these big picture choices. That doesn't interest me. I am interested in making sure that all of the little things happen the way they're supposed to. I think we see that in the actions of Chewbacca, not being a stage manager of live theater, but rather in the actions of somebody who is a warrior, uh, not a leader, but a warrior. I think Chewie likes being in the field. He likes getting his paws and his Wookiee fingers dirty. He likes going out there and going after that probe droid. He likes doing the repairs on the Falcon. He likes planting the explosives. He likes stealing the ATST. He shows initiative, but always in the field. He likes watching the backs of the people he cares about. He likes giving Ray that lift ride to try to go deal with Kylo Ren. What I'm saying is, I think Chewie is a micro-focused person, not a macro-focused person. I think Chewie is the kind of person, and by person, I mean Wookiee, the kind of Wookiee who actively wants to be the co-pilot. There's some people in life who say, if you told them you're the co-pilot, they'd be like, screw you, I want to be the pilot. And there are other people who are like, co-pilot is perfect. Co-pilot is what I want to be. A co-pilot has a ton of responsibility and can always observe with a little bit of distance. They can look at what the person in charge is doing, the pilot, and say to them, are you sure you want to do that? Because it looks kind of stupid from over here in the co-pilot's chair. And Chewie seems to do that often. I think that Chewie's advice from the co-pilot's metaphorical seat is his best contribution to leadership. And I think and I hope that we'll get to see some great metaphorical co-pilot advice from Admiral Chewbacca in Episode 9. Now, the reason that he might not want rank, in my mind, is maybe he just doesn't want to commit at that level. He believes in the rebellion. He believes in the resistance. He is often where he is because he is partners with Han Solo. He believes in Han Solo. But all that said, Chewie's got a wife. He's got a family. Maybe he just doesn't want to send that hollow message back to Kashyyyk and say, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so a little thing. I did, I did fully join up. I am a general now. And uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not coming home for a while because I'm, I'm the general. I'm the admiral. 
maybe Mala will hear that is you're really not coming home for a while. So maybe it is truly Admiral Chewbacca in his heart, but he doesn't want to pin that to his bandolier because in his Wookiee heart of hearts, he wants to get home to Mala. So that is my counseling. I think the Resistance should be turning to Chewbacca for advice, for wisdom, constantly, because he is loaded with advice and wisdom, and I think they should also respect whatever he wants in terms of rank. My final comment on this grievance is really not even counseling. It's just a hope. It's a dream. I kind of like the idea of episode 9 ending with a montage. We're closing out the Skywalker saga and all of the main characters who've been featured in it, and certainly hashtag General Chewbacca has been featured as a prominent character in the story of the Skywalkers. So it would be beautiful finally see on screen in Not the Holiday Special a scene after all the events, the adventures of Episode Nine, Chewie does come home to Mala. He is there. He is showing her the porg he has brought with him. And Chewbacca shows his wife, Mala Tobuk, the beautiful, shiny, new resistance medal that Poe just gave him. That is what I want for hashtag General Chewbacca. Thank you all for those fun grievances. It was really fun to do some kind of smaller ones, some ones that definitely do have some meaty ideas about Star Wars, but are also just fun and weird because, damn it, Star Wars is fun and weird. I hope uh, my counseling helped you feel a little bit better about those, and uh, there'll be more discussion to come on many of those throughout our time talking about Star Wars here on Force Center. If you have a grievance or deep dive question, you can send them to us on Twitter. Please do use the hashtag Star Wars Counseling. That's counseling spelled with an S. That makes it much easier for me to find them. I've also recently posted, if you're a patron on Patreon, I put out a request for Star Wars Counseling grievances there, so check that out. You can find me on all the social medias at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my other podcast, Obsessed, live comedy shows, comedy albums, a comedy book called Comedy of Doom I wrote a while back. That's all on josephscrimshaw.com. You can like Force Center on Facebook and follow us on Twitter is at Force Center Pod and buy our merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. You can support our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Force Center. Of course, we recently uh, did the commentary for a new hope that was made possible by patrons on patreon so go check that out on youtube and consider supporting us and until next time as han solo once said in a moment of brutal honesty i don't know how we're gonna get out of this one that's it for star wars counseling